Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah, man, we're excited. We're excited. The Lord is pouring his spirit out in our region, in the Bay Area, and he's got good gifts for his people. And you're part of it. Say, I'm a part of it. Say, I receive it. Amen. So I did say I wanted to end with a song, right? Okay. I know I said this to you before, I'll say it again. The opposite of Jesus, the opposite of the devil, I should say, is not Jesus. So when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the devil, somehow we have this idea, probably because of what we see in Scripture, that the devil is opposite of Jesus. Well, the truth is, Jesus has no opposite. So the closest thing to the opposite, the closest, thanks, the closest thing to the opposite of the devil is probably an archangel, right? Michael, Gabriel, maybe an archangel. But Jesus is completely other than. The devil is created and Jesus is uncreated. Jesus stands as God, three persons, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus doesn't have an opposite. And so when we think about the, the, the devil, we have to think about a fallen angel. Right? I think I'm in the same, we're in the same room, right? So, yeah. So... So we know that it's, 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 you know, a third of the angels left, which is a lot. And two-thirds remained. So let's just get a perspective that Jesus, the devil, and Jesus are not opposites in power, nor opposites in authority, nor opposites in any other way. That the devil is an archangel or an angel... I don't know if he's, the scripture says he's even an archangel. Probably the worship leader in heaven. And he's fallen, and now he, he is what we call Satan. And he has a bunch of other fallen angels that are called demons. But Jesus stands alone. And he's seated on a throne. And he's The word holy means set apart, but I want you to take that a little further. The word holy, when they say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, what they're saying is you're completely other than, you're completely other than, and you're completely other than. So holy doesn't simply mean it's set apart for something, you know, to be used by God. Holy, in that context, is completely other than. That's who lives in you. 
You mean somebody completely other than lives in me? That's what the book says. Isn't that amazing? That's a, that's a Selah moment. Not only that, you have the Holy Spirit who's completely other than. Because he's God. And he not only lives in you, he rests on you. I mean, we got to get a vision of the majesty and the glory of God that rests on believers. So turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus lives in you and the Holy Spirit's on you. Go ahead. Get it out of your mouth. Let's make a proclamation. Let's make a... I'm zealous for that, aren't you? I'm zealous. I, I am... A... You know, one of the things I, I cry out for is that we would, we, would, we would come into the knowledge of our full potential in God. That's why Jesus can say, that there's no, that's why it says in Scripture, I should say, that there's no weapon formed against you that will prosper. Those are just not empty words. That's why it says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Those are just not just words that we say that, that really have no meaning. That's truth. And if it's truth, then we can put all of our faith in those words because they're true. So we have, we have Jesus who's completely other than, who's worshiped night and day, day and night. And like I said before, how can the angels, how can all of heaven keep worshiping? And it's because when, we, when God gives revelation, our response is worship. When God imparts something to us, our response is thanksgiving, is worship. You ever been caught away in the presence? Nothing like it. Greater than any drug you'll ever take. It's not even a good comparison, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not advocating taking drugs. <laughs> I'm just saying that's all counterfeit. That's all counterfeit. So they keep worshiping because as they worship, the Lord gives them revelation. And their response is worship. And then, as they're worshiping, the Lord gives them revelation. And that causes them to worship. The reason why it's day and night, night and day, is because God's inexhaustible. When does the revelation stop? It can't. It won't. Because God doesn't stop. He's eternal. So... You and I, I know we're going to have our assignments on the earth. We're going to rule and reign with him. I get all that. But we're going to be continually blown away. We had a staff retreat 
staff planning retreat this past week, took our team up to a beautiful beach house we got really cheap. Isn't God good? So we hung out for three days, talked about what God's going to do, and planned and dreamed and prayed and played ping pong. It's truth. Here's another revelation. I didn't lose. Not one game. Forgive me for my bragging. But I'm really not that great. Anyway, but we had telescopes, right? It was great. Had these telescopes. It was Paris telescopes. Don't, don't mess me up. So, so like we had a we had a picture of we got the, it was a powerful scope and we saw Jupiter. You ever just marvel at God's creation? I mean, we have a tiny little telescope, and you look out; it's endless, and the universe keeps growing. They say. It just keeps expanding. That one lives in you. The creator has taken residence in a believer's life. See, I'm here this morning really just to brag on God. It's really, I only have one. I really only have one. I, have, I really have no idea where it's all going to end, and sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. But I just felt like I, there was two things. I want to brag on God, and I want us to have a greater revelation of his presence. And I want to start by saying, I just want to talk about how big he is, but how relational he is. How powerful he is, but how compassionate. How expansive he is, but how, how important you are. And he cares about every detail of your life. And if it matters to you, it matters to him. Isn't that incredible? So he's just not off in some distance. He's actually living in your heart, wanting communion. How does that happen? So Samuel is a prophet called by God. We get first and second Samuel, kind of lay the context for the first four chapters of this. And I wanna I wanna end in chapter five. I keep telling myself that. So did I say first Samuel? First Samuel. So the Lord calls Samuel in chapter three. Remember the story? There's Eli. Eli's part of the story. Samuel is part of the story. And the Lord is, is saying something in the night. And he's, 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 I don't have time to go into chapter 3, but he's speaking. Samuel doesn't know who it is, so he, go, he thinks it's Eli. Remember the story? Please put your hands up. Remember the story. So he goes to Eli, and he's talking to Eli, and he goes, what do you want? He goes, I didn't call you. So that's one time. What do you want? I didn't call you. That's two times. What do you want? Uh, next time that happens, respond to the voice. Because Eli knows that that's probably the Lord speaking to Samuel. So the Lord speaks to Samuel, and the Lord 
gives him his assignment, and he has a not a great prophetic word for Eli. So he releases the word to Samuel. Eli is on the edge of his chair. Now, Eli is old, probably in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, we find out he's 98 and he's overweight. He's 98 and he's overweight. Because the scripture says he's heavy. He's not heavy, he's heavy. That's for the older crowd. So, oh, much older crowd. So he's 98. He's overweight, and his eyes are gone. He can't see. And so Samuel's talking to him, and Samuel lays out this rebuke to Eli regarding his future and his lineage. Eli was the priest, and his sons were priests. And they had the job of managing the tent of meeting. They had the job of managing the, the tabernacle. And they were, uh, they, they were being bribed, I'll just say that. And they were not honoring the Lord with the sacrifices. And the Lord knew it, and Eli knew it. So Eli knows that his sons are being disrespectful, dishonoring, and not following the precepts of the Lord. So he speaks to Samuel, and, he, and Samuel speaks to Eli, and he says, because you didn't take care of business with your sons, I am going to cut you off, and your kids will not have a long life. Wow. Wow. Praise God for the New Testament. <laughs> Praise God that the veil has been torn in two. Man. So the Lord, so Eli gets the word from Samuel. And he says, he in essence says, that's the Lord. I'm going to trust him. I'm just gonna, he, he says, that's the Lord. He could have he maybe repented. He could have. He could have done a lot of different things, but all we know in Scripture is that he acknowledged that it was from the Lord and it's better to be in the Lord's hands than in the enemy's hands. That makes sense? So there's that word. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines go to Israel, goes to battle with the Philistines. Now, you guys know in the Old Testament, there's always a struggle with Israel and the Philistines. Back and forth, back and forth. They went. So let's pick it up in verse chap, chapter 4. I'm reading out NIV. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines in Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the as they battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed 4,000 of them on the battlefield. 4,000 men gone. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? They neither inquired of the Lord to even go to battle, and they were actually walking in a level of disobedience where the favor of God was lifted. 
Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us before the Philistines? Verse, I'm in verse, whatever verse I am in, three, maybe four. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. These two guys were not living holy lives and they put themselves around the ark. So get the picture. We lost 4,000 guys in battle. What, what were we lacking? Let's go to Shiloh and get the ark. And maybe God will be for us. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all of Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? The enemy, I just want you, I want you to look at it in the flesh and the spirit. So we want to take the Old Testament and we, want to, we can actually see it as an allegory for us today. So here they are bringing in the ark. They had to put it on their shoulders. They're bringing in the ark because they just lost a battle where 4,000 4, men are laying dead in a field and they're saying, if we only had the ark, we would win the victory. The problem is, is that they were walking in disobedience and they were using the ark as a way of manipulating God. Oh, come on now. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all of Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook, and hearing the uproar, the enemy asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in, in the desert. And then somebody, maybe the commander, says, be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So here comes the ark. They recognize the ark as this is the God who delivered the Hebrews from the Egyptians. In other words, the testimony was in place. But you can't manipulate God in any way, stretch, or form, even with our worship. So here's the enemy. The ark is, the ark is recognized as what goes before the Hebrews. It's his presence. It's who he is. goes before the Hebrews. And when they see it, they're, they're dreadful, and they say, it's over for us. Somebody gets strong enough and bold enough to say, we don't want to be subjected to the Hebrews. We're going to go ahead and we're going to fight. And if we lose, we lose. That's the setting. 
So the Philistines fought, the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Wow. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust was on his head. And when he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared, here's the priest, his heart feared for the ark of God. He knew it was wrong. He didn't stop him. When the man entered the town and told them that what had happened, the whole city, the whole town went up, sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes were set so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day which probably is not a good move for him. Eli, But they did have runners back then. Eli asked, what happened? Uh, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. And when he mentioned the ark of God, not the sons, I thought that's an interesting, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. For he was an old man and heavy. Just in case you were wondering if that was true or not. I don't know what rhyme I had, heavy, Ninety-eight and overweight. That's what it was. All right. That's the one thing you're going to remember. Hey, what did what did Pastor Gray talk? Ninety-eight over you know, overweight. Yeah. He had led Israel for forty years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, and near the time of delivery, when she heard the news that the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth but was overcome by her labor, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the woman attending her said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son. I think that's kind of an interesting line. Though you're dying, you've been given birth to a son. That was very, very uh, valued then, that carried the line. But she did not respond or pay any attention. And she named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel. May that never be for our nation. The word Ichabod means the glory has departed. So she named her son, the glory has departed. 
We want the complete opposite. We want the glorious coming with our children and our grandchildren. But, I- but Ichabod was named because the ark was captured by the enemy. Because of the capture of the, of, uh, the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. That sets the stage for what happens, really what I want to kind of arrive at in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Because I want, you to, I want all, us all to be encouraged, because that part wasn't great in terms of encouragement, except to say that there's a lot of principles we can draw from, because sometimes what we do is when we want something from God, we have to be careful that we don't use our worship as a form of manipulation. And he's a good father, and he'll see us, because thank God we're living in a different day, and he'll, he'll come alongside of us. But we have to be careful that our worship is, is given because he's worthy. Not for me to get something. So when I come on a Sunday morning ecclesia gathering, I'm coming to gather around his worth. Not for God to give me something. Now, I know I yearn for that in worship. I want God's presence to touch me. But I'm also mature enough to recognize that when you come before a king, you bring a gift. The gift is the sacrifice of praise. The gift is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's the gift I bring, whether I feel like it or I not feel like it, whether I had a terrible week, whether I had a terrible morning, it doesn't matter. I'm standing before the king. And then I just give him the gift of worship. I give him the gift of praise. I give him the gift of thanksgiving, regardless of... Say amen, amen. Regardless of how I'm feeling, regardless of this is the right song that I want to sing, or this is not a song I was hoping for, all the things that kind of go through our mind when we're there, or even when we're we're not understanding God in the moment. It doesn't matter. I don't stand before a king and I just begin to question and don't present a gift. If you did that in the Old Testament, you wouldn't have a long life. But it's far greater than that because we recognize that Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave, and now he's seated, right, in heavenly places, and now we just come and we present ourselves to him because he's worthy. That's the mature worshiper. Mature worshiper doesn't need to have a kickstart. Though I like it. When they were doing Cornerstone, I said, I could sing this song for 45 minutes. Right there, because I'm, I'm an anthem guy. I like an anthem. You know, Christ alone, cornerstone. Like, yeah! You know, I'm like, I'm an anthem guy. You know, and I don't mind the love songs, but I like, I'm a declaring guy. Like, let's go get them! So I'm uncourageous! You know, uh. and I And I have to, you know, I love the... You know, anyway, you guys know. So I like an anthem. I like those anthems. I don't even know how to tell you it's an anthem. I just feel like it's an anthem. So after, and this is this, is this great news, because you can't contain God. And God can take care of himself. Thank you very much. 
So after the Philistines has captured the ark, verse, I mean chapter 5, they took it from Ebenezer to, to the capital city called Ashdod. That was the capital of the enemy. That was the headquarters of the enemy, the Philistines. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple to set it beside Dagon. Well, who's Dagon? Dagon was the father of Baal. Now, you know in the Old Testament, there's the, in the Old Testament, we hear a lot about Baal, right? Baal this, Baal that, Baal, Baal, Baal. <laughs> what happens when a Christian backslides? Christian Baal. <laughs> um, so, I heard that recently, and I, the Lord just, anyway, I just... Terrible. So, so here they are. That's another thing you're going to remember. What did Greg say? So I want you to get this picture. Not the not the Batman movie, but I want you guys to get this picture of of the of the Philistines winning the battle, thinking that the Ark of the Covenant was captured, and their thinking was Dagon is greater than Yahweh. So much so that Dagon was, had a temple that he was worshipped in, and he's carved out a stone, and he has this man's face and man's hands, and he has a fish body, and that's where they would come in, and that's where they would worship. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim, and let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to set it beside Dagon in submission because Dagon is greater than Yahweh. That's the setting. So here they are. Can you imagine the conversation leading up to their rejoicing because they defeated, they killed 30,000 Hebrews. They won the war. They're taking the spoils, the Ark of the Covenant. The, the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, they recognized it. Dagon is greater than Yahweh. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to set the Ark of the Covenant next to Dagon, but it's, I would think, kind of in front of Dagon to let you know how great Dagon is and how weak your God is. Oh, man. And when the people... Verse 2. Then they carry the Ark into Dagon's temple and they set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. How did Dagon get before the ark? When the ark was beside Dagon. I would just love to have a video camera in the night and do a surveillance of actually what happened while everybody was sleeping. So they bring the ark of the covenant in. There's Dagon, their false god. There's Yahweh the real God, 
And they, the next day they walk in and they see Dagon prostrated before the ark. Because he's completely other than. And the scripture says, if you don't praise me, the rocks will. I think the rocks were crying out. So they're probably scratching their head. And they took Dagon, they put him back up in this place. Hmm. That's strange. Verse 4. But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground. Before the ark of the Lord, his head and his hands had been cut off or broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Day one, Dagon is prostrate before the Lord. Day two, they set him back up. Day two, they walk back into their big, amazing God, Dagon, who conquered Yahweh and his army, and they're going in this time, and their God not only was prostrate before the, before the Ark of the Covenant, but the hands were, literally the scripture says that they were cut off, not just broken off, that the Lord cut off the hands and the Lord cut off the head, like the Lord executed their God. Much like the Lord defeated the devil and his angels. The Lord made spectacle of principalities and powers, and he's the one that lives in you. I'm talking about bragging on the very God that lives inside of you, and we shall not be intimidated by the enemy or the darkness that surrounds us. We carry who he is. So there he is. There's Dagon. I mean, can you imagine the priests? The five senses were cut off. I was thinking about that during worship. What's the significance of the head? What's the significance of the hand? Not just, not just doing, but we're talking about eyes, ears, nose, taste, and touch. I mean, he was completely severed. That the Lord executed Dagon, who was just a stone anyway. There's no life in him anyway. And all the stones and all the rocks were crying out, praising God, because Jesus said, and it says in the scriptures that the stones will even praise him. So there they are, they're, per they're perplexed. And the Lord, I don't know, this says the threshold, right? The threshold was the door. So the, the, the hands and the head were by the door. How did, how did this happen from here to the door? I mean, can you imagine? I need another surveillance camera. <laughs> like, what actually took place in the night? But they knew that, that they knew that Dagon was absolutely uh, killed, was the word, executed, executed by the, this strange box that's sitting in their, in their palace or in their temple. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. 
The ark always symbolized the presence. What does that mean for you? That means that we do not have to be intimidated. That means that we can go into dark places and we literally are executing the powers of darkness. When I say we, I'm talking about greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If we can only get a glimpse, I, was, I want you just to dream for a moment. Like, if we could just take this Old Testament story and, and we could just recognize that now we are the living ark. Why? Because we bear the presence. We carry the presence. I mean, you can argue with me if you want. Just read the scriptures. Jesus lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit is on you. The veil has been torn. We now can approach God boldly, and we bear the presence. That's why we're more than conquerors. So when we step into the workplace, we're just loving people. We're just serving people. Right? We're just governing. We're at Ecclesia. We're just we're stepping into those places and we don't see what's happening, but this kind of stuff is happening. Because I would love to have a video camera or a surveillance camera footage of what took place in the spirit. And I want to encourage us this afternoon that we have to believe that what we carry impacts an atmosphere. And so for some reason, it's not, this is not about being arrogant. This is not about pushing your chest out because the greatest of, of I mean, to be a servant of all is the greatest thing you can do. Jesus had the anointing without measure and he was the servant of all. What does that mean? That means if you want more anointing, be a greater servant. Your platform is serving people. Not getting behind a mic. That's good. Come on, Come on now. Come on. Got quiet right there. <laughs> so there they are. I can't, I won't have time to go through the rest of the story. I'll just say this, that everywhere that the ark was brought, Akron was like, we got to get the ark out of here because boils and tumors broke out wow. in the people. Wow. Now... Boils and tumors are healed by the power of God through Jesus Christ, right? Boils break out. Tumors break out. Akron is in, Akron's in pain. I'll just say that. They're in pain. It says in Scripture, in the Septuagint, it actually says that rats filled the city. So they had all this. And Akron is like, we have to get the darkness, right? We... I want you guys to grab the, the connection. We have to get the ark out of here. So what they do is they go, we're going to take it to Gath. Can you imagine the people in Gath? Which is the next town. And so they take it to Gath. Same thing happens. Breakout. Tumors. Things take place. So they take it to another town. 
And they finally bring it to Ekron, and they, Ekron, the people in Ekron are seeing the ark coming. The enemy sees the ark coming. Oh, come on now. The enemy sees the ark coming. The enemy sees the ark coming, coming, and they say, we don't want the ark. We don't want the ark. Please do not bring the ark into our domain because we're going to be crushed. See, that's what happens when we bring the presents. This is what you carry. We're not there to crush people. We're there to, to destroy the works of darkness. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 3. We need a wake-up call in the body of Christ to recognize and understand who we have and the authority we possess and the presence we carry, whether you feel like it or not. Because I might walk into a building, I don't feel anything, but I have the King of Kings inside of me. Right? Do I have to feel it? I mean, do I have to feel it? No. No, we have to understand our authority. Oh, come on now. So Akron... Uh, Ekron is like, do not send the ark back to Israel because God could take care of himself. The second city, Gath. Who came out of Gath? Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, let's fast forward. David defeats Goliath and cuts off his head. Talk about a prophetic picture. So Dagon's head is cut off first. And then when Goliath challenges God's people, God uses a man, God uses a young person because Saul was so busy doing church that he couldn't actually get out onto the field. And so the Lord had to send an ecclesia to go out there and govern and actually take what he had and use a rock that actually falls into his forehead. I don't know how deep it fell in. And there goes the giant from Gath. And David just takes his head off and he holds it up. I did a whole thing on that, man, that whole picture. Here's the armor. Go ahead. David, use this armor. It doesn't fit. Oh, man. The end of the story is they're trying to figure out how to appease Jehovah. Because this is what they said. You cannot send that ark back without a gift. So they, they talked to diviners if I can have the worship team, you guys, why don't you come on up, Jordan? Bring the team. Because I want to end with an anthem. Christ alone, cornerstone. So there they are. The diviner's like, you got to send a gift. And they actually, I think they make tumors and rats. They, they make tumors and rats and they present, they, they're bringing that with the ark. 
and the ark falls back into the hands of the Israelites, and the Israelites now retain the ark, and they learn a huge lesson in the process. And that's when Samuel, that's when Israel wants their own king, which is a whole other story. And what's disappointing is that Samuel's sons were not serving the Lord. And we have to reverse that. Samuel's sons did not follow in the ways of Samuel, so the people said, we want a king. Because we already saw what happened with Eli and his two kids. And so we have to believe that the Lord is going to take the backslidden and those who haven't confessed Christ as Lord and Savior because we're living in the New Testament and a New Testament reality. I just want you to be encouraged. I, I think I had one theme today, and that's it. God is great, and he's in you. That's it. And you take the greatness of God everywhere you go. Don't be intimidated by a university. Don't be intimidated by a high school. Don't be intimidated by the corporate office. Don't be, in, don't be in, just love people well and serve them well and let the king of kings do his thing. You bring the presence. You bring the presence. You bring the presence. You bring the presence. And again, it's not to be arrogant, but to be confident. And there's a huge difference between arrogance and confidence. When it's all about me, it's arrogance. When it's all about him, I can have confidence. Amen? Let's stand. I want to sing that song. I don't know if we have the words for it, but that's how we're going to leave today. We're going to, Christ alone. Cornerstone. Does anyone else here like you like an anthem? I love an anthem. There's a few of you in the room. I'm sorry. For the other ones, I'm sorry. Everybody likes an anthem. All right. Oh, we have Ryan. Oh, we have Jordan on the drums. See how interchangeable they are? It's like Legos. I would invite you forward, but if you want to come forward, you can just come forward. If you don't want to, that's fine. I just feel like we should end in the presence, right? All eyes are on you, Ryan. No pressure. Uh Uh-oh, something has to be turned on. I hear it, fine. Just sing it a capoco. He can't hear me anyway. Oh, you can? Ryan, you're amazing. Smile if you can hear me.
So recognize the presence of the Lord is in you. That you carry the presence of the living God. You carry the uncreated, completely other than, is in your heart. Put your hand on your heart. Say, I recognize that Jesus is in my heart. And I carry the presence. And the powers of darkness have been dethroned. And you have influence. The church has to stop playing defense and has to start playing offense. Some we've got to start playing offense. Got to start playing offense. What was what was what did Jesus do? He just loved well and he served well. He didn't react to darkness, he responded to the Father. So respond to the Father. And I believe that the Lord is going to do an amazing work in your life this week. I really believe that. I really believe that. So we declare that. We declare that, Lord God, that this week, Lord God, everything's going to change. We carry the very presence of the living God. And the Old Testament reality is just a small fraction of the new. You now live in the hearts of men and women. Wow. And we have the Holy Spirit on us. Wow. That's why we're more than conquerors. We're grateful, Jesus. We're grateful. Everybody said amen. 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 All right. Amen. You're going to have a, listen, you guys are going to have an amazing week. Amazing weeks. Just tell the person next to you, you're going to have an amazing week. Just let them know. Just make a declaration over them. You're going to have an amazing We 
hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.